All right, welcome on into the show, everyone. We've had some technical difficulties tonight, but nonetheless, we are here. We're having fun. We're going to have a good time tonight. I'm Corey Lestoki. Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. We are here to talk Maryland, recap the Maryland game from Saturday night. Penn State won 31-14 in a game that was a little bit closer than the score showed, but it was a really important game for Penn State, a game where they're on a three-game losing streak. They found a way to get the job done on the road, although there's lots of Penn State following their 46,000 capacity. I'd say at least 30%, at least 40% of them were Penn State fans, um, especially at the end. I cleared out. I saw the Penn State uh, Nittanyville student section took over the Maryland student section yet again. That's two years in a row now, so I guess good job to them. Um, as embarrassing jobs that is for Maryland. And... And Penn State got a, an important win, right? Because we weren't really sure what to expect. We thought things had kind of begun to improve in that Ohio State game. But we weren't positive um, because obviously they, they ended up losing and they always get up for Ohio State. So we weren't really sure if we were going to see their best effort on Saturday. We weren't sure if they were going to lay down and just lose the rest of these games. And I think the effort was probably somewhere in between, right? We saw... Some sort of better performance we saw against Illinois. But it also wasn't necessarily much better than, or it wasn't as good as Ohio State. So it was somewhere in between. They somewhat slept, walked at the beginning of this game, and ended up not costing them, thankfully. Um, but there's obviously things that they need to work on and improve going forward. Um, but we'll get into all that. And that's what we're going to do. So today today really is going to be a string of things, the things we're going to talk about today. Um, we're, going to, we're going to break down the entire game quarter by quarter like we do um, on these recap shows. We're going to throw some scores out and some thoughts about the the, uh, the scores around the country. Uh, two number 10 teams going down this past weekend. We're going to talk the blue and the white, the bad and the good. Uh, some more specific notes on the Penn State offense and the Penn State defense. And then we'll wrap up with a little mini Michigan preview. I plan on doing a small show on Wednesday night, approximately at 9 p.m. Um, but we'll have to see where that goes. Obviously, you can listen and watch live on YouTube, or you know, you can uh, listen wherever you get your podcast. Uh, with that being said, let's go. Let's get into the first thing I want to talk about today. Um, sort of introduce the show today, um, and, and that's really something that's been bothering me, and that is the the bias. And the way we go about these playoff rankings. Why even have AP polls? I know why we say we want them. They're fun, whatever. It's nice to have an idea as far as the best teams in the country. But since the college football playoff does not start their rankings until week nine, why do we care about the AP poll rankings? And in my personal belief, it really hurts teams more than it helps teams because nobody really knows what a good win is if we don't care about the AP poll. Nobody really knows what's happened so far. And all the early polls do, especially the ones that start the country, is prevent two things. Confirmation bias, when we think someone's good and they're not good and they end up being good because they won one game after they've already lost a couple games. And then obviously recency bias. So it's hard to really kind of gather how good a team really is or how bad a team really is based off of where they started and where they finished in the AP poll. Um, what I sort of suggest is that the college football playoff rankings start coming out in at least week two or maybe even week three. Because then we uh, at week three we are starting to maybe figure out a – at least a couple teams on who's good and who's bad, right? We've had some pretty good non-conference games at that point, and we're starting to maybe figure out just a little bit who can play football and who can't. Additionally, it gives everybody enough time to begin to, begin to be able to figure out how the college football playoff committee, specific to that year, is going to rank teams. It's, it's nice to see how teams fall and rise in their, in their eyes 
what teams they deem as good wins versus bad wins instead of assuming that they just use the AP poll, which they say they don't. Um, it would be nice to know these things, right? I mean, in Penn State's case, they deem the win at Wisconsin to be a good game, a good win on Penn State's resume. If so, then why was Wisconsin ranked ahead of Penn State and ranked in the top 25? So there was a lot of things that didn't make sense about the first committee's rankings. We're going to get more on Tuesday. Penn State, actually, even though they beat Maryland, they fell back to 23 in the AP poll, maybe because of the playoff committee. Um, but a lot of people lost, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Penn State sneaks back in there. Maybe the committee just wanted to see Penn State win um, a football game. I, I don't really know, but that's my maybe Corey's take of the day because I, I really didn't understand a lot of what the playoff committee did. Um, and so, and, I, and I've kind of voiced that opinion on Twitter. Again, you guys can be following me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok as well. Let's get into the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown. And... We're going to start, obviously, with the first quarter and work our way through the game. There was a lot of things in this first quarter that we didn't like, right? There's a lot of things that you could, could point to later on and be like, man, if this was a better opponent, Penn State would be in trouble. Uh, specifically, the first two drives for Penn State, back-to-back uh, -back three and outs. They went backwards 11 yards, and they only took a minute 55 off the clock. Maybe it's perhaps nitpicking a little bit, but that um, screen pass that John Lovett dove for and somehow miraculously caught for a seven-yard loss, that didn't help things. And I'm not really sure why that wasn't preached if it wasn't already known that on a screenplay, the only reason you can even run a screenplay and let your offensive lineman down the field is because you're throwing the ball beyond, behind the line of scrimmage. Behind the line of scrimmage. So if you're going to catch the ball... You're probably catching the ball. You're, you're almost 100% catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage. So in a situation where, where you're having to dive for a ball, it's probably going to end up being, 99% of the case, if you catch it, a loss. In his case, it was a big, big, big time loss. And it, it really kind of put Penn State in a hole and ended up having to punt that first drive away. Obviously, it wasn't that much better on the second drive, but that was that was maybe more due to field position. Um, so that was that was a little bit of upsetting uh, things there. The defense played pretty well to begin things. They were a little bit leaky at first. You know, you can make the argument that they maybe should have played better in that first drive. Maryland did go down the field. Uh, they had a sack, but uh, Tala Tagovailoa threw the ball away, got the intentional grounding. Maryland ended up punting from the 36-yard line. And that's going to be, again, we talked about it at Ohio State. We're going to talk about it again with Maryland. That seems to be a common theme in these past two weeks where the opposing team is okay with or at least sucking up the fact that they're punting from uh, Penn State's territory. And, and a lot of times, the 36-yard line, I mean, that is a frustrating place to have to punt the football from. So after those first two drives for Penn State, the third drive was a lot better. Um, Sean Clifford finally was able to connect with a receiver downfield. Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, caught the ball in stride. It was a fantastic throw by Sean Clifford. Probably one of the better throws he's had, um, it had um, since he's come back from injury. I mean, it was a perfect throw. Two plays later, I think they ran the ball to Kevon Lee one play. They, I mean, my goodness, Jahan Dotson, his first touchdown snag, 38-yard catch. It was a thing of beauty. I mean, the double move you put on that defensive back from Maryland is just is filthy. That made that defensive back should consider not playing football anymore because it was, it was just a thing of beauty. The throw actually wasn't even that good. The throw was uh, well behind Dotson, but it didn't matter. It was a touchdown grab. And, and, and just like that, Penn State took the 7-0 lead. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, we're good. Life is good. We figured it out on offense. The defense is playing good. Life is good. Again, the defense begins to be a little bit leaky. They're uh, they're getting in Penn State territory. Uh, but then Arnold Ebukadi had a awesome, awesome one-on-one. -on -one, uh, beat his man, got the sack. And Maryland eventually wasn't able to do anything with it. They had to punt the ball away from their own 49-yard line. So now we've already seen they've had two punts at this point inside uh, are, are almost in Penn State's territory. So a 36-yard line punt from Penn State, 36, and a punt from Maryland's 49-yard line in the first quarter. 
in a second quarter Penn State's drive. This was maybe a drive that is never going to be talked about again because it didn't end up being points. But I thought it was a drive where maybe Noah Kane was figuring things out, but but maybe it wasn't. Um, he accounted for 38 of the total yards in the drive. There's only 47 yards. So he, he accumulated and, and was accountable for all but nine of the yards on this drive. The drive ended in a turnover and downs because on third and six, they hit Dodson. It wasn't a great spot. It, he probably got an extra yard there. Instead, they called it a fourth and one, and it was a fourth and a very long one. They decided to go to that. Penn State decides to go with the red zone formation with uh, Tyler Warren as the quarterback running a little bit of the Wildcat. They send Dotson in motion. They fake it. There's a lot of penetration internally. And Warren really had no chance on it. I'm impressed he was able to get a couple inches, honestly, because they made contact with him almost immediately. Uh, turnover on downs there. But I thought that was an important drive because we saw maybe no Kane at least showing some sort of something. Some sort of something, which I think is important. You know, that somebody has some sort of momentum, some sort of confidence. And I think finally later on, Showed that again. Maryland gets the ball again. They move a little bit again. They've had a lot of drop passes in this game. It happened a lot to fourth to drive. And they were forced to punt the ball away. Again, punting from Maryland's 46-yard line. So they've had punts already from Penn State's 36, from Maryland's 49-yard line, and then Maryland's 46-yard line. So they were moving the ball, but they weren't doing anything to really threaten Penn State, I would say, in that first in that first quarter. And then in, in the early stage of the second quarter. Another good drive happened after that. Penn State's fifth drive of the game. They converted on three third downs of five, eight, and, and 15 yards. Uh, that 15-yard conversion was a 17-yard pass to Theo Johnson, I believe. So you're seeing them convert on third downs. You're feeling good. They already have a touchdown on the board. You're thinking that's a drive of 14-0, starting to separate themselves. And then they have three straight incompletions and have to punt the ball. And that's frustrating, right? Because they had done so well moving the football, and yet sometimes you're wondering why are they not having any success um, once they've already picked up a couple first downs. Because we've seen before, and, and honestly, I don't know if Penn State went crazy fast tempo in this game. Um, I feel like the tempo is a little bit slower, and maybe that would help a little bit. But when, you, when you've converted three-third downs and you don't come away with points, it's a little bit frustrating. And right after that drive for Penn State, Maryland started figuring things out. Tagovailoa, he's an impressive quarterback. He's a, he's a little bit of a risk taker. He's a little bit of a, a gunslinger mentality. He'll run around the pocket a little bit and find things and, and, and hope and pray and, and wait as long as he can. And, and he throws a laser of a football. I mean, he throws a dart. It doesn't matter if he's on the run or not. He throws a good football. And it was only a matter of time before he finally did something. And they go eight plays, 86 yards, and they end up with a touchdown. They throw the ball seven times on that drive. Uh, they miss a PAT, so it's 7-6. But then right now, you can see how things kind of are starting. Penn State fans are starting to get a little bit worried, right? Because you had a chance on two drives. You had a turnover on down. Then you had the three straight incompletions. Two good drives stalled out. And you're thinking, that could be 21-0. And now it's 7-6. And you're like, okay, we might be in a little bit of a dogfight as we head um, towards the end of the second quarter. Penn State, this is where Penn State and, and people got really, really frustrated with James Franklin with his clock management on this next drive. Um, basically what happened, basically at the beginning, of this, I want to say this the right way, because at first I don't blame Franklin for what he did. There's only a minute or so left. You have three timeouts. If you're going to get into scoring range, scoring field position, um, potential for a long field goal, you're going to have to get some big chunks. But also, Maryland had all three timeouts. And I think that's an important part of this is that Maryland had all three timeouts. So you can't just you know, throw the ball three times or not even pick up a first down and Maryland gets the football back. They just scored a touchdown drive. And oh, by the way, in your last drive, you had three incompletions in a row. So don't blame Franklin if he's not 100% believing in Sean Clifford right at that moment. 
and what this Penn State offense can do. So he runs the ball two plays. So they started the drive with a minute 15 on the clock and three timeouts at the 25-yard line. Again, only up 7-6. So a turnover there is extremely detrimental, especially Maryland getting the football to start the second half. They run two run plays. They pick up a first down. There's about 40 seconds left. Then they run a pass play, and it's incomplete. All of a sudden, you're at like approximately the 35-yard line. It's second and 10. You have 34 seconds left in the half, and Maryland has all three timeouts. So, you're again, you're in a, a little bit of a tricky situation. Your offense hasn't been crazy fluid all, all day. So are you going to risk throwing the ball three times and punting it back to them with maybe 15, five seconds? You probably could do that. He likes to run the ball, which I don't mind running the ball second and 10 with 34 seconds. No issue with that. If you're basically saying, unless he breaks this for a first down, we're not going to do anything with it. If he does that, I think most people don't care. Lovett doesn't break it for a first down. He gets six yards. So now it's a third and four. And so, okay, you could argue, okay, just run it, let it go out to half and be done with the whole thing. Like, who cares? Just go to half. But then it gets a little bit funkier because then with a third and four and, I don't know, approximately 30-ish seconds and now winding down because they didn't use a timeout yet. They slowly get to the line. They methodically get to the line. And then, with barely like six seconds left, then they run the ball again on a third and four. And this time, John Lovett converts. He picks up a first down. And now there's only three seconds left. So you're like, okay, well, this is over, over. You probably need to run that play. But then Franklin uses the timeout. And you're just like, wait a second. If you were full all-in aggressive mode, you wouldn't have ran that ball on a second and 10. And even if you did, you would have used a timeout instantly after that run on a third and four. But because a third and four happened, you were wondering to yourself, okay, maybe I shouldn't. Because if we hit through a pick right here, or if it's an incomplete pass, you know, Maryland gets the ball with three timeouts and maybe 30 seconds, maybe they can do something with it. So... It was ultra conservative after the fact that they decided to not use the timeout after running that play. But then using the timeout after Lovett got the first down with six seconds left. Those two things don't really make any sense um, at all, to be honest with you. Um, you you either have to go full all in or, or not when it's a third and four. You could have called a timeout with about 30 seconds left and then thrown the ball for a first down and still had two timeouts done something with it. Instead, um, running the ball pretty much says you're done with it, you're, especially the way they decided to milk the rest of the clock um, and, and didn't really care to, to run another play. It was weird. It was wrong. And... I, Again, against Maryland, it probably doesn't mean anything. But against somebody else, you know, against Michigan next week, if you have a chance to sneak out three points, you probably should do it. You probably should go ahead and do it. Uh, let's jump to the third quarter now. And the third quarter is when things get, a, I guess, a little bit better, you could argue. A little bit better, a little bit uh, smoother for, uh, for Penn State. Maryland gets the ball first. They actually move the ball pretty well. I do have to point out this one thing where, I mean, it was a cheap shot. Fred Hansard on the sideline uh, takes out Tagovailoa on the sideline. It was a cheap shot all the way. Um, it, it, it wasn't right. Um, it was wrong, basically. Um, you can't do those things. Fred Hansard doesn't play that much as is. And you're just wondering after that, you're just you're wondering, you know, what, what the real point of this whole thing with Fred Hansard is. Like if he's not even playing that much and he's on the sideline and he would have cost Penn State 15 yards there. I mean, can you imagine that? You go from not even really contributing to the team that much, even though we need defensive tackle depth to possibly costing Penn State points. So they he got Penn State got away with one. Fred Hansard probably not gonna get away with it. Um, it did, you know, it did affect the drive because Tagovailoa actually had to come out for one play. And 
coming out for one play, Penn State, and it was first and 10 on the, when that play happened. So then on second and 10, the backup came in. They tried to run a screen. It didn't work. Then Tagovailoa comes back in, and it's a third and 10, and the drive stalled. Um, and again, Maryland punts from Penn State's 36-yard line. So already, you can kind of see now, Penn State, or excuse me, Maryland has punted from Penn State's 36 twice, and they have punted from their own 46 and 49-yard lines. So th that's kind of what this defense does to you all the time. But if from the opposing side, you're wondering, why aren't they taking more risks? Why aren't they taking more shots? I don't really know what to say. They, they punt the ball. It's a good punt. Penn State starts at the five-yard line, and you're thinking, okay, well, if you're Maryland, you're like, make them go 95 yards, and that's exactly what Penn State did. 14 plays, 95 yards, and a touchdown. They convert on three-third downs, and this is the drive, in my opinion, where Kevon Lee sort of separated himself. He had 49 total yards, uh, including a 15-yard run, which I almost threw my hands up in the air and shotgun the beer and and pop some confetti because that was an awesome run. It was nice to see him break a tackle in the hole. I believe it was a defensive lineman he broke the tackle from. Got in space. 15-yard runs are, are hard to come by around Penn State right now, and it was nice to see that actually happen. Um, he also had a 13-yard catch. Once he had that catch, he was he kind of tapped himself out, and he said, no, I, I need to come out for a second. So I'm not really sure what that was all about. Um but we didn't see him in the next drive, which is frustrating because you thought he maybe finally had some, some momentum. He finally had some confidence. And then we go to Noah Kane, which, again, Noah Kane earlier in the game had the one drive where he did some good things. Um, but was it enough? I'm not really sure um, to, to really take Lee out of that unless Lee obviously couldn't go. So that's a question I have for James Franklin. Um, why why are, we con why are we taking out Kamal Lee when we finally look like we have somebody um, that's running the ball well? And we'll get more into that um, a little bit later on in the show. Anyway, after the touchdown drive, this was one drive I was about to get super frustrated with. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, because I was like, man, we talked about last week complimentary football. And it seemed last week, whenever Penn State's offense would score, the Penn State defense would give up a drive and some points to Ohio State. And that was starting to happen. Maryland had back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back passes for Keem Jarrett, wide receiver, who had a pretty good day of 17, 20, and 8 yards. Uh, and they're moving, right? They're moving. They get all the way down to Penn State's 10-yard line. Uh, there's a fumble, and Jair Brown recovers it. And they make a big stop. And we're going to talk a lot about red zone defense, but it's something that they've been able to do uh, consistently all year long. I mean, it's one thing to give up a lot of yards, and then one game you hold people. But to almost make a identity out of being able to bend but not break is is impressive, and I think that goes uh, gives a lot of credit to these guys. If these guys truly believe that they're not going to uh, let this offense in the end zone, no matter who it is, and they did a really good job against Ohio State in bending and not breaking, and they've done a good job ever since Wisconsin. So something that happened time and time again, and that will happen obviously towards the end of this game um, in a little bit. Penn State then gets the ball back, and we've talked about this last week too, where Penn State's defense is so good at sudden change and being able to come out on the field after a turnover and play really good football right off the bat. We haven't really seen the offense do the same thing. We talk about it a bunch, but again, turnover, Penn State gets the ball back. What do they do? There was now two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties that didn't help things, um, but they go three and out. Now, Brisker's penalty was probably warranted. He went down the sideline taunting, you know, shushing everybody. Brown, I'm pretty sure, just pointed the direction with the football. So maybe you could argue it was a prop, uh, but I thought that one was a little bit cheap. Anyway, so it was a first and 19, but still... Again, another opportunity where you're, you can have a chance to maybe take command of the game and you get a turnover and then you can't even at least get a first down to maybe change the field position. So that was frustrating. That, made, that meant we had a game going into the fourth quarter. So heading into the fourth quarter, we had ourselves a football game and this was the drive Maryland really made the game. 
10 play 52 yard drive they get a two-point conversion they also converted on a fourth and three and they tied up at 14 14. they did a really good job keeping penn state on their heels and it was talking by Loa's best drive of the game and at that point you know it's starting to feel like illinois a little bit right the offense had opportunities early on failed to um to do anything with those Defense gets a stop. Offense doesn't move the ball very well. And then all of a sudden, Maryland, 48-yard line, they start. They go down the field. They score. They get the two-point conversion. And the only thing bad that happened in that is that Maryland had to use a timeout before the two-point conversion. But still, you're like, rut row. And if that wasn't enough, if that didn't worry you enough, then right after that, the very first play for Penn State on their ninth drive of the game, Sean Clifford sacked. And you're just like, oh, Lord, that's not good. We are in deep trouble now. Because now it's like second and four, second and 18, I believe it was. And the momentum has shifted, right? The momentum has completely shifted. Maryland's feeling good about themselves. And then I haven't even talked about Jahan Dotton yet, and we're 30 minutes into the show. Jahan Dotton continues to make plays and make plays and make plays. I love the cover two, the two, cover two concept by Maryland's defense. And he runs, he basically runs a sluggo, but to the middle of the field. And the linebackers don't get enough depth. They don't follow with. The corner doesn't come over and he just finds that seam. And as soon as he catches it, I mean, the safeties aren't going to you know, be able to get there in time. He split that like a dang Thanksgiving wishbone. And showed his speed there, right? So we saw everything in this game from him. We saw the uh, the route running on the first touchdown. And then we saw the speed and the breakaway speed, especially on the second one. And and, and life is good, right? You're like, okay. So, so, so Penn State answers. And this is something I keep noticing about Penn State is they find ways to answer quite well. In fact, the Penn State offense, if you go back to the Ohio State game, did really well whenever Ohio State scored. It was when Penn State's defense got them a stop is when they didn't do anything with it. So Maryland gets a good score. And what does Penn State do? They come right back down and they get a score of their own. So, uh, very impressed by Penn State's ability to do that. Um, I would prefer if they would do both. But it was an important important drive. They extend the lead 20-14. And if you're Maryland, you're like, oh, that's not good. Because you know, we, we scored on the last drive, but it was because we started at the 48-yard line and have to go that far. Um, the defense clamped down from then on. The defense got three and out. The next drive, Penn State answers beautifully by doing another three and out. And again, that's what I'm talking about. Where's the complimentary football? Your defense gets you a three and out. You got to come right back on the field. We were just saying the defense had been leaky when Penn State scores. Well, this time they get you a three and out, right? They get you a stop. And then you come out and lay an egg. Not just a three and out. Probably the worst punt that Jordan Stout had had all season was right after that. Maryland gets the ball midfield again. And again, you're just like, God, this is not good. Like, we had our chance to maybe possibly get them out of it and, and, and kind of take them out of the game and have that killer instinct. And all of a sudden, Maryland is at the 50-yard line to start a drive only down by seven. Now, they do eventually get themselves in, you know, a little stalled. They get themselves in a fourth and seven situation from Penn State's 33. And at that point, you're like, this is probably the game. And then there's a false start penalty on Maryland. And again, Maryland on a 4th and 12, what are you going to do? Has to punt the football back. And again, Penn State making Maryland punt, this time from Penn State's 38-yard line. So if you've been listening from the beginning, Maryland has not punted from Penn State's 36, not once, but twice, but from also from Penn State's 38, from Maryland's 49, and from Maryland's 46. So those are, I mean, four punts from an area of the field you really don't want to punt the football on. But honestly, Mike Locks didn't have much of a choice having to punt those punt those footballs. Uh, this one would have been, I believe this one was a touchback. Penn State then gets the ball back. They go 12 plays, 74 yards. Most of that is because of a 45-yard catch and run by Jahan Dotson. Uh, that was on a third and eight. They ran kind of like a, um, a clear route, kind of just opened up the middle of the field and Dodson just ran right underneath. It wasn't even really a slant as much as it was a shallow dig and he just caught it and 
nobody was going to catch him for 45 yards later. There, I think that was Keandre Lambert-Smith down the field who got him a, a solid block to spring for a couple 15 extra yards. And you're like, okay, here we go. Another chance. Killer instinct. Step on the throat. Unable to do it. Sean Clifford overthrows. It was a bad overthrow. Overthrows uh, Jahan Dotson on third down. Probably would have been a touchdown. They do hit the field goal and they extend the lead to 10. So you're thinking, okay, at the very worst, you at least extend the lead to 10. Is Maryland really going to be able to score that, you know, 25 points to beat you? The answer was no. Although they tried. Next drive, Maryland 10 plays 75 yards. They had a fourth and six. Jaquan Brisker picked them off, but they called it back for defensive holding. That was the right call, although they probably didn't need to do that to get the interception. It was a great interception by Brisker. Um, Brisker wasn't the guy holding. I believe I want to say it was uh, Joey Porter Jr., um, but he had played really well. He, he's just been a little bit grabby lately, and the officials are calling him out on it. So not sure the officials have done their homework, um, but Joey Porter Jr. was very grabby with Chris Olave last week, and I think they were they were keeping an eye on him this week. So they so then you know Maryland is moving down the field, and you're like, well, they might tie this game up, but at least Penn State has a ten point lead, and then bam, second and three, Jair Brown pick six. He, he saw the whole way. If you go back and watch and just watch him pre-throw, he is watching him the entire time. The entire time. And jumps the route and nobody catches him. No one's even close to catching him. He gone. He has, well, we'll talk about him more in a little bit. I don't want to talk about him too much right now, but he's done fantastic. And, and, and continues to do a fantastic job. Maryland, that turnover on downs to finish the game. Um, we're going to get back to the Penn State. Quickly, let's talk about some things that happened around the country. There was a, there was a lot of things happening around the country this week. And there's some things we, we definitely need to talk about. Um, in the Big Ten, Purdue getting the second top five win on the year. Pummeling. Pummeling Michigan State 40 to 29. Michigan State now has one loss. Everybody in the Big Ten East now has at least one loss. Ohio State, speaking of the Big Ten East, it didn't look great against Nebraska. Nebraska's actually not a bad team. This can't seem to find a way to win games. But Nebraska's a good football team. But Ohio State did look mortal. Uh, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba had a fantastic game for them. As he had a very similar play for a touchdown that he did against Penn State as far as just catching a hitch and then making a guy miss and then going the distance. And the only difference was Penn State had guys fast enough to be able to catch him. But Ohio State looked good there. Uh, Wake Forest, or before we go there, let's say Illinois. You know, Illinois beat Penn State, so let's talk about them real quick. Illinois beating Minnesota 14-6. to kind of takes Minnesota out of it. I guess not completely. It's a four-way tie now in the Big Ten West, but those are the ones you don't want to lose if you're Minnesota. they got to still play Wisconsin and Iowa, I believe. Uh, Auburn. Auburn. 13 versus 14 against AM. They were playing each other, and AM squashed them 20-3. So Auburn now um, getting another loss there. We are kind of rude for them as Penn State fans a little bit. Cincinnati is where game day was. Cincinnati going down and, and holding on against Tulane. There was some drama late, but Tulane was, was unable to capitalize in a couple opportunities. And Cincinnati holds on for the 28-20 win. Not really sure how much that's going to help them in the long grand scheme of things, but whatever. And how about Penn State's former offensive coordinator bowl between Oregon and Washington? Of course, Joe Mo, the former offensive coordinator, and John Donovan, the former offensive coordinator. John Donovan at Washington, Joe Moorhead at Oregon. Oregon beat Washington 26-16. And as of just like an hour or two ago, John Donovan was fired from Washington. So this would be the inaugural and then only uh, Penn State former offensive coordinator bowl. Uh, last one, oh, two more. Alabama barely beat LSU. If you watched that game, Alabama did not look great, especially along the offensive line. Um, LSU had a lot of injuries on defense too, so keep an eye on that one, and keep an eye on Alabama. Uh, and then finally, number nine Wake Forest losing a shootout to UNC back and forth. This game was, 
And the ACC is officially most likely out of the conversation for the college football playoff. That's all I have for that. Let's get into the blue and the white, the bad and the good from this weekend. And we are going to start. I don't even know what that little sign. Would... Yeah, there's the blue and white in case you didn't know. don't really know if I like that one that much. The blue. Let's start with the bad things first, I suppose. Um, poor offensive start. Clock management and the penalties. So, again, offensive start. We kind of hit on this already a little bit, but it's worth hitting on again. Got to be better in the beginning. I don't know. I know we're trying to run the ball a little bit. We even try to throw the ball, a little screen pass too. But when defensive lines aren't fresh, when the defensive lines are fresh, our offensive line can't handle anybody really. Uh, really struggle to run in the first and especially even in the second quarter. So we got to find a way to, I don't know what it is. Maybe don't go to so many scripted plays at first. Maybe find a way to run a trick play, something to get the defense on their heels a little bit because early on the defenses are attacking coming downhill and the offensive line has no chance poor clock management we already kind of hit on this as well but you know those things come back to bite you and you've got to be able to find a way to score points and, and the thing that's frustrating about this whole thing was james franklin preaches the first four minutes first or excuse me the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half he preaches those eight minutes and to come out and not be very aggressive in that situation kind of makes you wonder how much he isn't, you know, really believing in his offense, at least at that point. So it was frustrating. It was a little bit surprising because, you know, you can say he hasn't had a good clock management before. I think that's a fair assessment. But he's been fairly good before the half and fairly aggressive before the half in a lot of big games. So it's kind of weird to see them not be aggressive there. Uh, the final maybe poor thing is penalties. There was a lot of poor time penalties. The one, obviously, on Fred Hanser that wasn't called, that would have been an awful time for a 15-yard uh, penalty. Um, probably an injection for Fred Hanser if they saw it. But also the holding on the pick that Brisker had, like those ones you know, could hurt you if you don't get pick six a couple plays later. So there was a couple of those. Um, they also had a 12-man on the field penalty. So there's some things that they obviously need to clean up. Um, they've been very grabby in secondary. I'm not really against it. Um, but they're getting caught a little bit too much right now. Uh, Tree Castro Fields, even on that pick six, was tripping and grabbing all over his receiver. So very, very fortunate that that wasn't called for pass interference. Let's go to the white. Let's go to the good things. Let's be optimistic here while we can still be optimistic. And there's a lot of things to be optimistic about. And I'm going to say the running game had flashes. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it did. You know, Lee had multiple runs of over 10 yards. That's positive. Noah Kane, although didn't look as good as Lee, in my opinion, still I thought looked pretty good. Um, I just don't know how you go away from Lee right now. I just don't. I think you have to. Or I, I think you have to go with him. And, and nothing against Noah Kane. I just don't know if he has. When he gets downhill, Noah Kane looks like, you know, his old self. But if he ever doesn't have a hole, his his sort of lateral quickness seems to have really kind of evaporated on him, which is unfortunate. But that seems to be the case right now. So, um, so yeah. Um, the next one, the defense of the red zone, we're going to talk about this more in a second. But, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. It really is how good they are. Um, how good they are in the red zone. It's one thing, again, for it to happen one or two games. It's another thing for it to happen constantly. And they have been able to do it constantly. And then finally, Jahan Dotson. 11 catches, 242 yards, and three touchdowns. I believe he averaged 22 yards per catch. He broke Deion Butler's single game uh, receiving yards record said that against Northwestern by the way that's going to be on a trivia question later at some point who knows uh yeah I I, I think it's obvious to say Jahan Dotson is the most important player on his team but if you just go back like two years we weren't even sure 
if he was ready for that role. I mean, when it, when the KJ Hamler was a star, we were always like, okay, what does that mean for? You know, what what, what does that mean? For Jahan Dawson, is he ready to step up in that role? And God has he ever. And where would this team be without Dotson right now? I'm not really sure. He he single-handedly won the game for us uh, on Saturday. And there's not a lot of times that happens. But it was very clear that he was the best player on the field. And sometimes having the best player on the field is, is enough to win these games. So he's gotten a lot of credit, as he should. And... Um, I don't know what else he has left in the tank or what else he has to show us, but I'm very excited for whatever that may be. Uh, let's get into some offensive notes. Offensive notes time. There's a lot of things I kind of liked. Pop that up there for you. There's a lot of things I liked. I think yards per attempt is an important, but not the only important thing, especially when you're running an offense where you are having to supplement the running game with a short passing game. So sometimes that yards per attempt comes down. But still had a 7.7 yards per attempt against Maryland. To give you an idea of how important that statistic really is, at Iowa, it was at 3.9. Against Illinois, it was 4.9. And then against Ohio State, it was 6.9. So all three of those losses obviously lower than last Saturday. Whoa, last Saturday against Maryland. So... That was an improvement. Obviously, it helps when you have Dotson running and breaking big plays. Uh, but 3.9 against Iowa was just unfathomable and disgusting. So, very nice to see that's improved a little bit. And they missed some shots. Parker Washington, you know, was open on a couple that Clifford just barely missed. Uh, Keandre Lambert Smith missed one deep that was a beautiful on the outside shoulder for Sean Clifford. I mean, it was a perfect throw. And Lambert Smith should 100% should have had that one. But still, 7.7 yards per attempt is pretty good. And an improvement. Not that Maryland's the best on defense, but it's an improvement. 2.82 yards per carry. That is their fourth best performance as a team. Kavon Lee rushed for 50 yards on eight attempts, which is 6.3 yards per carry. Noah Kane rushed 10 times for 35 yards which is 3.5 yards per carry. And then John Lovett rushed seven times for 24 yards on 3.4 yards per carry. I tweeted about this. Again, if you're following me on Twitter, you can see these things. Basically, Kavon Lee hasn't got, I think it was ended up being 27 less rushes than Noah Kane so far, but he's averaging the same amount of yards per game and a better yard per carry. I think it's time we let Kevon Lee be the starting running back, to be honest with you. I don't know how he's been banged up. If that's why he didn't see a lot of action after that one drive. But he's the guy. He has enough lateral quickness where he's a little bit better than Noah Kane. I think they are both equally as tough and physical. But I think Kevon Lee ends up at least breaking a couple more tackles more than Noah Kane does. I think the frustrating thing is I think Noah Kane's a better pass blocker. And knows where to be more times than not. So that that part's frustrating because there's not much else you can do in passing situations if you want Kevon Lee to be on the field. He's just not as good. Um, obviously, John Lovett's still the best pass catcher and probably still the most explosive. But so far, I mean, we played a lot of games at this point. You know, we played nine games. We're three quarters of the way through the season, and none of these guys have shown any ability to really be the guy. Which is, which is frustrating for the Penn State offense and obviously for Mike Yersich as well, the offense coordinator. And on top of that, Sean Clifford's still not running as much, right? I mean, he is not running as much as he was before the injury. He ran for that one first down on that third down and short play, and he almost reluctantly decided to do it, and then he just turned on the gas. And I'm still wondering if they're telling him to not run because he just he hasn't looked as aggressive as far as running and moving around the pocket as he was before the injury. So I just don't think he's 100%. And they, they thought he was going to be 100% or almost to it by Ohio State. We'll see about that. Or we've seen about that, I guess. Very, very, very impressive. The third down percentage, 55.6% on third down. Um, 
I think the most important part of this is that they did a good job keeping it manageable. Stay on schedule a lot of the times. There's a lot of third and threes, some third and twos, some third and fours. I mean, there's some longer ones as well, but a lot of times they did a good job giving themselves a chance on third down, and it paid off. These last two weeks for Penn State against Ohio State and Maryland on the road have been their best two weeks on third down. So a lot of that can be play calling and execution, but a lot of that's also staying on schedule, and they've done a good job of that these last two games. Um, they were only in the red zone one time, this Penn State offense, and they had to settle for a short field goal. So you'd like to see them get the seven points instead of the three points. But obviously a chance to extend the lead to 10 is still an impressive part. Um, and Malik Mega got his first career catch. Wanted to give a little shout out to him uh, for his first grab. Let's talk Penn State defense now. Always easier to talk about Penn State defense because they've done so well. Um We'll get them up here for you. Maryland had five attempts. I think I'll talk about red zone first. Maryland had five uh, attempts in the red zone. And they came away with just two touchdowns. Doing a math at home that is less than 50% of even scoring points in the red zone. So that's very impressive by this Penn State defense. They've continued to bend but not break. They've held all of their opponents without a score in 12 of the 34 attempts, which is just... If you're watching the, the YouTube video, I mean, I'm just shaking my head with my eyes closed because it's just, it's just phenomenal. I mean, it was a really well-done job. And again, it's become a habit, right? I mean, I would love if they didn't give as many yards. I think the Penn State offense would love if they didn't give as many yards because then they wouldn't have such bad field position. But... They continue to keep opponents off the field, off the scoreboard, and that, that's really what, what ends up mattering uh, when it's all said and done. We don't care about the yards at the end of the day. You win by how many points you have on the board. Uh, the defensive line is something that I've been very impressed with. I mean, with Jesse Lucada, the starting defensive end, not playing because of an injury, I don't know how they have the amount of depth to, to compete against any Big Ten team. They just continue to find ways, especially the defensive tackle position, uh, to, to make it happen. Uh, Tangelo had four tackles in a sack. Katie had two tackles in a sack. He's had a two, or excuse me, he's had one TFL in five straight games, by the way. And they held Maryland again with this depleted defensive line. Only one starter was left out there. Um, they held Maryland on 100 yards rushing. That is the 38th time. Since 2014, that this defense has held an opponent under 100 yards rushing. They are 32 and six when they do that in games. They've also forced a turnover for 15 straight games. I want to say that streak started um, when they played Nebraska last year. Uh, that is an important part because we've seen that when they are positive on turnovers, they've only lost to Illinois. But when they are minus on turnovers. They haven't won a single game. So very important that they continue to find a way to win the turnover battle. And they had even more opportunities today than the ones they actually came up with. Um, Maryland, this, <laughs> I'll, get back to this. I'll get back to this little tidbit in a second. Let's talk about Jair Brown real quick. Dude has four interceptions on a season since uh, seven, 2017 was the last time that happened. Amani Arariye, uh had four in 2017. Jair Brown already has four, and we still have three games plus a bowl game left because obviously Penn State six wins now on season is officially bowl eligible. But dude, this Brown guy again, Brisker and Brown both from Lackawanna College, uh, junior college. But Brown now has six takeaways because he had the fumble recovery too, mind you. He has six takeaways on the season. That is more than the entire Kentucky football team combined. Combined. That's impressive. Hashtag it just means more. All right, let's finish off the stream and the show today with a brief little uh, Michigan preview. Again, Michigan going to be playing Penn State on Saturday at noon it is the inaugural 
helmet game for Penn State. Everyone's pretty much wearing white except for the very middle part of the stadium wearing blue. I love the idea. I'm curious to see how it works, especially for a noon kick. Hopefully have a preview on Wednesday night for you. Um, Michigan averaging 36 points per game. Obviously, Josh Gass is still the offensive coordinator, former receivers coach at Penn State. Um, 234 yards on the ground per game, 217 yards through the air. They're only allowing 170 yards through the air and 124 on the ground and just 16 yards, or excuse me, 16 points per game. So the defense is for real. The offense is also a lot better than in previous years. Cade McNamara is taking care of the football. Only nine or nine touchdowns and just two interceptions. So they're doing a good job there. Uh, the running backs are really the most impressive part of this Michigan team. Uh, Haskins and Corm have combined for 1,607 yards. And get this, 21 rushing touchdowns between two running backs. I mean, you look at those numbers and then you look at Penn State's numbers and you're just like, wow, what the heck is going on there? Um, this is also a random interesting tidbit that I saw. Michigan has forced more fumbles this year than they have uh, gotten interceptions, which I thought was an interesting little little tidbit for you. I've seen a spread pretty much about even. I've seen some minus one for Michigan, one minus one for Penn State. Over or under fluctuating between 46 and 51 points per game, or points I should say. I would be very, very nervous to bet on the over-under for this one because of the way these two offenses can be slow, but both defenses can give up some yardage. So things can get weird in this game. I wouldn't bet on that. Obviously, you just bet on who you think is going to win. Um, but that's all I have for today, guys. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, if you are in the YouTube channel, even though just for a little bit, I appreciate you stopping on by. Obviously, wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you subscribe. If it's on YouTube, fantastic. Thanks for seeing my pretty face all day. Um, if it is on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else you might be listening, make sure to hit subscribe wherever that is. I appreciate you guys. Again, you can find me on Twitter at HardcorePSUFB. That's the same for Instagram. is the same for TikTok uh, and also on Facebook as well. So you guys have a fantastic week. Thanks for joining me on this recap of the Maryland game gonna try and get a preview out on Wednesday for the mission game you guys stay safe and have a fantastic week for hardcore Penn State football I'm Corey Listoki signing off till next time